old-fashioned information podcast for children all over the country and the world. Anyone who wants to know all about fashion and doesn't really know where to start. My name's Caroline Gration. I run the fashion school in London and Brighton. But this isn't just for my children who come to me. This is for absolutely anybody and anybody who's interested in listening. Uh, today, um, we have something very, very special. Now, I want to interview people, all sorts of people. So you're going to have um, people like, you know, in... Um, heavily in fashion, in design, in production, journalists, da, da, da. And I also like to interview mavericks because they're really what makes life exciting. I'm really lucky I know Dr. Noki. So Dr. Noki uh, has come and taught at the school and taught the children and is absolutely unique and biggest, kindest man you will know. This interview is very, very honest. And there are some things that maybe you need to speak with your parents before you listen, because he's very honest about his growing up and he's very keen to tell you what not to do and the mistakes he made. Uh, so it's very frank, but really worthwhile listening to. I would suggest you just speak with your mum or your dad or your carer or your guardian just to say so they can maybe just have a listen first of all. And if there's anything they don't think is appropriate, then they can have a sort out, especially from the younger age range. Um, anyway, so Noki is a textile artist. It's really hard to think of a name of what he is, but that's kind of perhaps what you would understand first point. He's a uh, the a complete original, and um, he's mask up and brand mashup collage artist. It says here, and he blazed in in 1996. Um, he's also his latest project is now Dr. Nokia's NHST. That's Nest. So uh, that's the change. He's um, he was grew up in Aberdeen. He is going to tell you all about growing up in Scotland, going to art school in Scotland. When he came down to London, um, building up his brand, living in Shoreditch right at the beginning, uh, and trying to explain what an exciting time. It's you about what the rave scene was, which was what um, he was quite heavily involved in. And uh, it's just a you know, there's so much to listen to here. So I'm going to let you listen. You will love him. He's a star and I'm so fond of him. Anyway, enjoy it. Hello, everybody. And today I'm going to introduce you to Dr. Noki. Just before I do that, I'm just going to remind you all that this is a free children's fashion information podcast for children anywhere or whoever wants to learn more about fashion, maybe they want to get into the fashion industry or just wants to listen to people and what they have to say generally. Um, I'm not gonna to do too much of an introduction for Dr. Noki because he is the most amazing erudite man. He's got lots to say. Um, he's a total maverick, but listen to him, not but, and listen to him really carefully. So hi there, how are you? Hello, everybody. How are you, Caroline? Nice to uh, be chatting again. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Noki, um, there's. I'm going to ask you the question that all children want to know before anything, and then 
I may interject at some point when you're speaking, uh, just yes. to give you a question from the ch a child that I think will be relevant of what you're saying at that time. So the, um, if that's all right with you. Um, Very much so. Something I really like, we always send the questions to people to, um, you know, so that they have an idea and they can go through and they can find a question they feel is really appropriate. They know they can answer. But Noki has taken another um, approach, which I totally love. And that is, he doesn't want to know any questions. He said he'd overthink them. I think he's exactly right. So this really yes. is Noki off the cuff and yes. unfiltered. Right. OK, so Noki, what is your story? What is your role? How did you get there? And that's the question children all want to know. I went to art school in, um, 19, in 1989. When, I you finished were, in... when you were at school, where were you? Where were you growing up? Okay, when I was growing up, I was in in Aberdeen in Scotland. I then moved out from Aberdeen for, to a country village called Ellen. And we used to nickname it Hell on Earth. So we used to put an H in for Ellen. Um, so it's a small country village with an academy built. Um, so everybody from the sub, from the area, from the country area would move, would come in on buses, school buses. And that's how I got to school on a school bus. Um, then I moved to Edinburgh College of Art in '89, uh, and I finished. Actually, just to give you a bit of a heads up, I got thrown out as well of art school. Did you? I got. Yes, I did. And then the reason I tell you this is because sometimes some students are very scared of yeah. them and how it's going to be, and the the, the intimidation of going to university and all the rest of it. Um, it wasn't I was bad at what I did. I was, I like to say I was quite good at what I did, but I came across authority. Yes, <laughs> yes. They can be very intimidating as well. And what I'm trying to say to you is, you may come across authority at your art schools and tutors that really don't understand you, that try and block what you've yeah. got to say. And this is their problem, not yours. Um, I got, I challenged a tutor for various reasons and I was told to take a year out to think about authority and who was in control. So I think these moments in my life, yeah. bar a few others, which are very extreme, but there's another podcast, um, made me think about all that, made me um, look at the idea of of control um, and respect it, I get it, I get it, respect it. So I got back in again anyway. Um, but one of the great thing was I had to take a year out and I worked for Benetton so I could fold t-shirts. One thing I'm known for is a t-shirt, so I can fold t-shirts on the, um, while standing and talking at the same time. So weird little moments like that gave me expert, but I went back to art school and I came out, it was very tricky, it was difficult, but I knew I was more of an artist other than anything to do with the fashion design. Yeah. So my remit in the world is to create the perfect collage. And that perfect collage is how I achieve it, is to chop up T-shirts. So my endeavor for the last 25 years is to create the perfect collage. And by cutting up branded T-shirts, I get my imagery from the t-shirt 
and branded clothing. Just like at the turn of the century, there was an art movement called Dadism. And there's a famous artist called Picasso. And he was one of the first to do collages. Um, Duchamp would meet as an artist called Duchamp, and he would create assemblages. Um, so these movements, these collage and assemblages, is how I operate within my creative remit. Um, and that is um, the idea of creating art apparel. Mm. Brilliant. Um, was did you, um, this actually, this may be a little bit when you move on a little bit further on, but um, this is from uh, AJ, he's a 13 year old boy. And he says, was there anyone who inspired or supported you or supported you, someone like a mentor? Um, it doesn't have to be when you were growing up and it can be as you, you know, came to London and um, et cetera. Um, I, growing up, I had a, a, my older brother. He was a great style warrior of his time. Um, wasn't scared of clothing. Wasn't scared of um, mixing it up within his own style tribe. So I was very in awe of that. It was very hard being his brother because he was a hard taskmaster like some brothers can be and sisters can be. But um, they are who they are. And if you watch and listen, um, sometimes you'll learn from them. Um, but it wasn't until, you know, he was a punk. Um, my cousin was also the punk. So they were the living the punk era. Um, I used to go to the clubs with them and there was loads of fun and all the rest of it. But it wasn't my era. I was not until 1988 when Acid House kicked in. That was the original raves. So that's what um, gave me the confidence to be my own particular raver. And that's probably why I'm very obsessed by branding, because that era was very much about wearing a Nike and an Adidas T-shirt. So sorry, I keep butting him. So sorry. Could you explain to the children exactly what acid house was um because you children you're growing up at a time where youth movement is very different to how it was and um and this is you know when i grew up but especially when uh Noki grew up um he you know what exactly what was rave what was acid house what was its impact on children and it, it, it's it was the beginnings of of repetitive um, beats created through technology uh, coming out of the um, house sounds in Chicago and the American beats that were kicking off and some say because of the machinery um, that was going in the car plants and the repetitive banging of metal um, was an inspiration for some of the guys that worked so they were kind of like feeding off their environment and taking it back and then being able to find those repetitive beats within electronic movement in the sampler machines. Um, the acid house movement was a specific kind of like noise that um, was repetitive and it just sang to me. I don't know what it was. It was probably the same as the punks got with the, with the drums and the guitars. Uh, I was able to dance to it and I don't know. I, it's, it's it's myth and legend, the acid house scene. It was it's 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 now being just classified as rave now. Yeah. But my initial intake of it was definitely acid house. And um just punch into Google and put in acid house music and you will hear a specific kind of um sound. Absolutely. 
that was the soundtrack of my 16, 17, sort of 15, 16, 17 sort of like backdrop. Um, Amazing. Um, and it was great fun. It was great fun. Um, but uh, like every scene has its consequences. So um, mm. you have to sort of like, how do I explain that one? But yes, um, the acid house scene moved on and it's, you know, it came to a conclusion to go back to that question. It, um, there was, I got to London in 1995. Um, and I, could I say there was any, I suppose there was a scene called the Hoback and it's the House of Beauty and Culture. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a designer called Christopher Nemeth and Judy Blame and John Moore Shoes. Um, I loved all that because they were basically make, doing and mending. They were taking old textiles and making new products from them. Um, so yes, that was going on, but at the same time, I was very much into my sportswear. So I was kind of compromised between using kind of having a more holistic kind of aesthetic with being growing up with the, the high tech of sportswear. And I suppose that's where Nokia's come in. So I take the aesthetic of make, do and mend and I chop it up and what's called the mashup as what I'm known as the mashup artist. So I mash up those branded products to make new hybrid products. Absolutely. And the thing was with, um, you know, movements like Acid House, Rave, Punk, New Romantics, um, you know, Northern Soul, everything. It was the music was embracing what people wore. It was a two-way thing, wasn't it? It wasn't just fashion. It wasn't just streetwear. Music was very much entwined into it. Bash, yes, oh, absolutely. Uh, music, art, and fashion go hand in hand. Um, as I say, you know, sportswear um, just evolved into Acid House because it was such an energetic kind of uh, dance movement because you're talking about electronic music and it can go on and on and on. There was no band playing and the band can only go so long without getting tired out and you would stop with the band and take a breather, have a pint or whatever, and then get back into the music again. But with electronic music, it was plugged into the system. So it could go on and on and on and on and on. It never stopped. So, you know, with that, you know, um, came the drink and the drugs and the bad, and I would say the toxic side of that movement where addiction can, there's the stuff that you've got to navigate as you grow older um, and you become part of, of, of your tribal scene. Um, so, yes, it, when I sort of, you know, the human endeavor was, was pushed over by the, um, the electronic pulse, I would say. Um, and that was that's a big shift, including when you rave, you kind of rave on your own. You don't rave with people. You don't dance particularly with people, yeah. especially back then. So it had gone from like the 60s rock and roll where you definitely dance with a partner. Then the punk scene kicked in and you kind of dance with people in the mosh pit. But with the rave thing, you kind of went solo and you just became a solo dancer. Um, so it became very insular is another thing. But at the same time, you know, sportswear made sense because it was something comfortable to wear. You couldn't wear shoes. You couldn't wear shirts and collars and fashion that we'd grown up with at that time that had been evolved since the turn of the century with the designers like Coco Chanel, Yves Saint Laurent, um, Christabel, Balenciaga, those kind of people that, I, that basically created the modern day brand, pattern cut, genius textiles around bodies, all that kind of fashion just didn't work in the rave. Um, 
get destroyed, it became destroyed or just wasn't comfortable. So no. jeans and jeans, <laughs> sweatshirts, hoodies, all that kind of stuff became in trainers. I mean, trainers, when I first started wearing trainers, it was it was like you were looked upon as if you were, oh, you're one of those dirty ravers. You know, you were seen as an alien in the street because trainers were for the track field, for the gym, you know. Yeah. In fact, my... you, were, you were sweating shed loads anyway. So yes. why yeah. the hell would you be wearing <laughs> and, a, exactly. you know, a Chanel jacket? <laughs> exactly. And leather, and leather shoes. Once you'd have to yes. have those wet marks on this sort of like, you know, the uh, salts, the yeah. salt marks destroyed so a lot of a lot of the 20th century disappeared right about in the fashion context disappeared out of um out of out of obscurity really do you know what i mean it became it was it was it became null and void you yeah. know we used to so with that came words slogans mm -hmm. on t-shirts and uh, the humble t-shirt became the the armor of that tribe um, the tracksuit top, um, so a lot of stuff Brands that were really prevalent when you yeah. were young. What beginning were you... For me, I was obsessed with Fila, yeah. I was obsessed with Fila, um, and I, I loved obviously Adidas, it was had been around and it to come through, you know, you'd see it on and off, and you know, different eras would wear it, even the punks would have a go at wearing a bit of Adidas tight top, but. For me, it was Fila. Um, I was a bit obsessed with Lacoste. Yeah. Um, these brands were European as well, so they were exotic. Yes. Um, and Nike was the holy grail because it was American and everything American back in the 80s was holy grail. It was the um, pinnacle of, of everything that was going forward. Um, so, yeah, but Fila for some reason captured my imagination. I do enjoy playing around with Fila a lot. That's so interesting. It really is. I mean, I'm, I'm sure for, you know, uh, young people who are the age you were would be really interested in hearing that. So you moved down to London. Why did you move down and what happened? Well, London being the mecca of creativity, um, I had to make that move. So... I moved up to an empty Shoreditch in two, uh, 1995. Yeah. To a warehouse, and I lived in a, one of those warehouses sort of yeah. in, in Shoreditch. I mean, literally, if, if, if you if you get taken there by your mum and dad, you know, you'll see Shoreditch as a thriving kind of post well, you know, yeah. pulsating like mecca of modernity now. Whereas beforehand, when I first moved in 95, it was like a, a thoroughfare. It was, it was, there was nothing. Yeah, I just remember it was totally off my radar, and then having to, you know, going over there for things, you know, and then suddenly thinking, oh my god, you know, this is this is really exciting, and that was yeah. in the you know early nineties, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Did it? So it was. Um, it was a. It was a. I mean, it wasn't even a pub open at the weekend for us. So <laughs> I, I instigated with a, a DJ called. Duran, the high priestess, high priestess we called her, yeah. and she DJ and I managed the bar with Ray for a woman called Vicky Pengelli, and the bar was called the Bricklayers Arms, and that allowed our God, there was probably about maybe thirty people that lived in warehouses around that area. I mean, yeah. that was about it. the community was small, but thirty people in one pub with no restrictions on evenings, so you could do late night drinking. Yes, <laughs> you know the 
there was no restrictions whatsoever. So we, we, it was like a it was like a, a rave utopia. It was great fun, but it has its consequences, like everything else does. And how old were you then? I was so I was in my 23, 24, 25 era. Brilliant. And I was so I just left art school and moved there, and uh, I say started running the first rave bar called the Bricklayers Arms in in uh, Shoreditch, and it became huge, massively populous. Um, and if I was to explain, going back to that question that Ryan had... Um, it was AJ, yeah, but who inspired you? Was there AJ. something that supported you? It was mental. If it was to explain that question, what inspired was more the environment yes. rather than some specific person. So it was kind of like watching what was going on, the politics, how my scene, how my friends were acting, um, my own personal behaviour. Um, things like that informed me. So what I saw as after opening that pub was that pub becoming far too busy, the rave scene kicking off, it becoming far too toxic with the drink and the drugs. Mm -hmm. The behaviour was becoming very obnoxious. Yeah. I was managing it, so I felt like I was facilitating it. I was becoming a bit depressed about it because mm. there's nothing I could do about it. Um, because I would come across like the boring person, but um, which we all worry about. I don't want to be boring, but at the same time, somewhere in that little thought process of being boring is your own personal self talking to you. Absolutely, yes. The situation. Sorry, I butted in. I think that's such a good point, Noki, because I think children listen to this, what you may see as boring, um, I butted in. Would you mind just saying that again, uh, just so that the children can hear it clearly? Well, it's more to do with like that thing of like, instead of being caught up with celebrity and their life, it's like, how's your life going? Mm. So if you feel like you're not enjoying something or you're not enjoying somebody's attitude or personality at the time, or you're being oppressed or bullied, you know, why, if and but, and just maneuver yourself away from it. Don't go with the flow. Don't let the bully get even more oppressive on you. Mm. Become much more um, proactive for yourself and maneuver yourself away from it. So when I talk about, the, you know, as, as the art known as the mashup artist, you know, that's what I was in. I was in a horrendous rave mashup. Everything was really quite toxic. So instead of getting negative about it, that's so I started chopping up the thing that was most dear to me, which associated to the rave, and that was my branded T-shirts and my this, my uniform, the rave uniform that I would um, be wearing. So I kind of um, that's when I took my my frustration, my anger, my disappointment, my um, disillusionment, all these kind of things. Took it out by chopping up and made myself happier by making a Nike, Adidas and Fila tracksuit. And there was not such a thing back then. There still isn't such a thing back then. The only people that can make them are you. You don't need permission from those companies to make those tracksuits. You can chop up three tracksuits and make one by sewing them together with the techniques that Caroline School is showing you. And you can make those hybrid pieces, you know, called street couture or art apparel. You can make your own versions. Um, and that's how I navigated my way out of that depressive time, because I suppose the people that were turning up at the pub were just wearing Nike or Adidas or Fila. 
but they maybe wear a top, but none of them wore them joined together. Mm, yeah. None of them, none of them wore them so they were actually attached to each other. They were all separate pieces. So I wanted to like, I suppose, be more creative within the mashup. You know, I could see it going on. I went right, okay, you lot. If you're all being this badly behaved, yeah, <laughs> then I'm going to get you more badly behaved, but not in a fighting way, not in an angry way, but in a really creative way. Absolutely. That's and it's very true, isn't it? That, that that time people actually, like you say, you love Fila and you had your Adidas, you had your Nike and all the rest. But if you had chopped up your T-shirts and mashed them together at that point, a lot that was a very big thing to do because people worshipped the brand, didn't yes. they? And so what you were saying, I mean, is enormous. And it definitely was at that time. Nobody, everybody thought I was losing the plot. <laughs> so <laughs> wasn't. I wasn't. I knew I wasn't because I knew I was being creative and manoeuvring myself away from the depression that was surrounding me at the time. Um, and everybody was so fixated on this Adidas T-shirt that I cut up or this Nike T-shirt that I used to look. But you looked really great in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's thousands of other t-shirts I can look really great in. Why are you fixating on this one branded product? And I thought, wow, the world is full of thousands and thousands, millions of branded t-shirts. And I thought, ah, there's my way out because I've got, and now I've got, and now I've got a fresh energy flow yeah. into those thousands and thousands of levels. And 25 years later, now we have sustainability, mm-hmm. you know, which is luckily which is the, the new buzzword from recycling, you know? And, you know, I call my pieces up fusions, not, you know, up, up, upcycling. Um, so I've, I've kind of like evolved my own language in that 25 years. So I use words like art apparel, up fusion, yeah. custom building, street couture, to elevate fashion and creativity, um, not be putting it into the recycling bin or, the worthiness of up, upcycling and all that kind of stuff, because I find these words are more unhelpful as a brand identity. Oh, it's up fusion. Oh, it's up fusion. It's up fusion. So, you know, it's up upcycling. It's upcycling. It's like, so what <laughs> if it comes from a second hand? Doesn't have to be brand. And you Doesn't are always one ahead. Say again? You're always one ahead because the way oh. you're thinking, like, you know, I think that, you know, let's look at it all, everybody. At what point are we going to, you know, recycling, um, c- customising? As we move forward, surely they will, those terms will be redundant because it will be so entrenched in the core of what we're doing, um, you know, as young creatives. Well, not me, obviously, but as young creatives. Um, so the reason why I went quiet for a second for those of you doing the audio is that um, I'm absolutely blessed because Dr. Noki has changed his outfit. Those of you <laughs> who are lucky enough, he's, he's very kindly allowed me to use the, the, um, the visual, you know, the actual video. So obviously we'll only be able to show that at the moment to children who are at our school. But um, I think it will help explain things e- even further. Yeah, but you you were telling me that you're so right. I mean, you and it's also been messed around with, and you have it's when it's like when vintage was adopted. You know what I mean? That word vintage. Oh. 
And all of a sudden you had brands pretending to do vintage, which was not the point at all. And, and I think you're so sharp that you see that, no, we have to bring in a new terminology that is personal to you of what you're yes. doing. Well, it's, it's important because a lot of words become part of meme factories to support industries. Yes. And, and, and you become the fodder for those meme factories. And you start believing in those words where, you know, customization is an, an old word used by many creatives over the years where they have just taken com commodity, i.e. I always go back to, you know, the customization of cars. So you would go to the scrapyard and you would cut up loads of different cars to make one great looking car, you know? Yeah. So that's how I see my work is I go to the second hand sort of boutique shop, whatever, um, rag yard, and the clothing coming in is the car parts. And then I start chopping up those pieces, mash up, you know, get mash up on them and chop a sleeve off here, a pocket out of there, a neckline from here, and I'll make one fresh piece out of it. So it's a similar, it's a similar context. I mean, somewhere along the line, stop seeing clothes as clothes and just as commodity is commodity textile and what you can do with that textile and departmentalize a garment. So it's got a zip front, it's got a sleeve detail, it's got a pocket, it's got a pleat, you know, what little bits in that garment can you see removed and where would you cut around it to remove it to then place it into another garment to celebrate it. Mm. And that's, that's what I'm trying to convey about up fusion. Do you know what I mean? So it's the kind of fusion of different garments in a positive way. Yeah. Um, the idea of, you know, they call it um, upcycling. This recycling thing, it just always makes it sound too worthy. It yeah. always makes it sound too to just 20th century kind of like hippie. Um, and not, 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 I'm not against hippies, but that's a saying, you know, we grew up with being too hippie, you know? And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Braver, there's one thing I was never really was a hippie, you know? I, I mean, I get conscious feeling and more so now, I get the idea of consciousness, you know what I mean? And, and back in the rave days, you had Della Soul doing conscious hip hop, you know what I mean? And there was a whole scene around that because even the hip hop scene went through a sort of mashup of disgusting sort of proportions of money and wealth and power and yeah. you know, prostitution and all that kind of stuff. And it was being celebrated far too much with guns and all that kind of stuff. And so look into Della Soul and the whole conscious hip hop scene, you know, that might calm down some of your minds. Do you know what I mean? That yes, you're being subjected to too much drill right now and expected to like an awful lot of violent commentary coming through uh, modern music because the beats are very seductive. So just don't, don't be, don't expect to make yourself better unless you look for a better way forward. Good point. Um, if you keep, yes, if you keep, listening to the things that you don't like then expect to get worse <laughs> you know you have yeah really you know you know it's if you keep liking the thing you don't like expect to get worse you know unlike things just don't just don't get involved you know yeah um, think about why you don't 
I can write it down, you know. Um, remove yourself from celebrity want and need. Oh. Do you know what I mean? And become, become, realize that a lot of that is is very much a toxic kind of affair between you and the visual content to sell you something. Mm. Um, and generally, it's it's not a very healthy environment for you to allow yourself to buy to be caught up in. Mm. Um, because because there is out there, there's so much choice, so much choice out there. Um, but for it to be polarized onto a famous person's body yeah. for you to desire is is a very weak option to all the choice that's out there. I think that is such such an important point. And uh, children, we see the world that you grow up in, and we see that that's a a very typical way forward for you to understand that you only contextualize it if it's on a celebrity but you yes. know, listen carefully to what Nokia is telling you not telling you but just opening up your world I'm, I'm only advising yes Caroline yeah, I'm only I think you're opening up their minds that's that sorry I used the wrong word I know I did I'm the sorry brain, the brain is a huge is, 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 is a universe in itself hmm. we don't use half of what our brain allows us to because because of our own personal inability to open up the areas that are available to us. And, and you, um, you created your own opportunity. That's why you became who you are, because of doing that. And when you're in London, once you got to this point where you were chopping up T-shirts, you, you've seen a lot of negativity um, and you were moving forward. At what point did you make your next opportunity not opportunity but you know because you are a self-made man completely right so what happened to you once you started cutting up your t-shirts once once i got the i mean the conveyor belt that i ended up creating for myself and i call it a conveyor belt because you know you need you can't be a solo artist all the way you need a lot of help you know what i mean and thank you so much to everybody that has helped me along my way you know what i mean to the stylists the photographers to family members to friends you know um i i just knew that if i just kept going to the second hand rail um i caught the second as another one i call the second life reel because mm -hmm. every time i customize it, it goes third life fourth life fifth life it's trying to keep something positive because again like second hand with the just to reiterate the second hand and the recycling it all sounds very dirty it always reminds me of of of, of smell or something just uncleansed or used or you're kind of cheap or poor uh -huh. You know, yeah. and I've never in my entire life gone to the Second Life store and felt poor. I've always come out elevated and really rich because I've gone to the rave and I've just gone, wow, where did you find that? Yeah. You know, or where did you get this from? And I and, and that never, ever computed that I was poor or um, unfashionable or, you know, that kind of idea of being dumbed down, you know, because I couldn't afford to go to the mega store and buy the brand new product with the bag and a tissue paper and all that kind of stuff and walk out down the high street mm. explain you know letting everybody know that i'd been shopping at the you know the flagship flagship store yeah yeah, um, yeah. i'd go to the second life store and find my own version and by hunter gathering that way 
Um, so yeah, it's kind of it's 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 a state of mind you have to get into. Um, and it's a very I find it a, it's a very difficult one for you because going back to what you mentioned, Caroline, the vintage thing, a lot of brands have just jumped on secondhand clothing and remanufactured them. Yeah. So when you are growing up with just nostalgia on a rail, not modernity, not modern clothing, and it's sold very cheaply to you, and it's just a tea dress here, it's a you know a nineties tracksuit there, an eighties shoe here, you know you know, a skinhead type t-shirt there, you know what I mean? It's like, this is just all nostalgia. Yeah. And fashion does not work around nostalgia. So, you know, fashion must be futuristic. It must be pushing boundaries. It must be evolving with its times. Yeah, that for children to hear, yeah. And that, and, that, and that for me, the only way I can express to you through the custom build or to create your own street couture, and venture into art apparel is to chop up that nostalgia that's been given to you. Yeah, yeah. That's hanging in the second life store and chop it up and take a little bit of that nostalgia away and add it to another bit of nostalgia to make something modern because what you've done there is broken that nostalgic garment so it'll never hang on that rail ever again. Mm-hmm. So you've broken into, a, you've broken a, an energy there's been a manufactured energy that you, as a consumer, um, more so than ever now, that's what we are, just we consume what's given to us with very little independent thought process because it's marketeered in a very exciting way. Why would you want to think when it's on a celebrity, when it's attached to a fancy car or it's, you know, a football team or, you know, this kind of thing. It's, 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 it's like the fantasies constantly being given to you yeah um, it's really dangerous it's really dangerous the way it molds children teenagers minds vulnerable children uh you know like it's it, it's so damaging i think to give this kind of like image to children that they think that's what it has to be to be worthy or something um, yeah, when you're in london sorry to button when you're in london then you started to, you got involved with Fashion East, didn't you? Yes. I mean, I was involved in Shoreditch and I was very immersed in the graffiti art scene in Shoreditch. Um, so when you're surrounded by that kind of environment with real graffiti artists, when you're talking to people that, that do metal, they do trains, you know what I mean? And they're breaking into yards and doing all that kind of stuff and they come back to the pub and they're talking about it. Something I would never have done, but sitting there listening to my mates talking about it, um, going back to that question, who influenced you? So I was influenced by that con- those conversations because it was something, another world that I would never in a million years. And you'd see a quick photograph, which would have been back then, not on your phone. It would have just been done on a snappy snap, you know? Yeah, yeah. So and they had to watch when they got snappy snaps, uh, as in a physical, because those people would sometimes tell the police that mm-hmm. these guys are, you know, so there was a lot of dark kind of like sneaky kind of like tribalism yes you know within that kind of conversations and this was like really intoxicating and I was like you know and I'd grown up with the 80s scene of the graffiti you know this of the trains being done but when you're actually physically in it and around surrounded by scene um I thought how can I emulate how can I do my own version of this Mm -hmm. and my one was to tag Noki onto clothing because I thought 
to myself, well, we are a bit like trains. We're a bit like walls. Mm -hmm. So if I tag and graffiti on the garment, I can actually go farther than the train station. And I can, my tag can go through the door in the wall into clubs and bars and bedrooms and, you know, places further than, than the train can go, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I want, so how I evolved, how I felt comfortable tagging over the brand because I knew it was antagonizing everybody because it's like, yeah. no, no, leave it. I just want a plain t-shirt with Adidas on it, not with Noki <laughs> written on it. So I was like doing that thing. So the train, the, the plain t-shirt had become the corporate train that, that the government and the local people were all like, no, don't, yes. graffiti is a bad thing, you know? That, so I'd become the bad person with my positive tag over mm -hmm. the top. And I had, I had that confidence because I was living in that environment. Yeah. Because yeah. they understood where I was coming from. You know, those guys were like, you know what, actually, yes, that makes sense. That's really full on because you're, but don't you dare tag my t-shirt, you know what I mean? And that kind of stuff. So I knew I'd got them running. Yes. Like they were antagonizing the train depot, you know, and the, uh, you know, the, the DLR. So it was like, there's your hypocrisy. Do you know what I mean? So, so you want to be the bad boy, but you won't let this bad boy, you know, graffiti you. You know what I mean? Yeah, so that you well, can. Everybody has a boundary, don't they? Yeah. And, yeah. That, I knew I had found new boundaries. That's exactly it, Caroline. I had felt that, and you can only get there by being confident in yourself. And that's when it goes back to a question I was saying where you dislike and you start saying no and you just start understanding your own boundaries. I, I think that's really good. I've got a question here, actually, that I think it's probably a good time to put into this. And that is, um, it's, and it is by Anonymous, of course. And it says, um, um, I'm so shy. You're talking about your confidence, but she's saying, I'm so shy. I'm a bit of a low, well, I don't know if it's a girl, it could be a boy, a bit of a loner. And I know networking is important. What can I do? Now they're only 13 and Noki has changed again and looks even more resplendent. So there you go. What can you, what advice could you give to somebody who is very, very shy, or maybe they just haven't assembled confidence yet? What would you say to, to them if they're about 13? I would read books. I would go for long walks. I would find yourself um, not, don't isolate yourself. Yes. Be um, curious. Watch from afar. Don't get too close to things because it'll make you self-conscious. But look into the far distance and see what you can see and be curious about what's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the you know, the horizon, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then you'll slowly, slowly start to move towards it. Mm. And then you'll find your boundaries of how close you want to get to it. And then the, either person, the other thing, whatever you're looking at, will either let you in or it won't. But at least you've been curious and understood and write about it, always write. Diaries or, diaries or notebooks or whatever you, journals, whatever you want to call it um yeah you you will evolve as a 13 year old you will evolve anyway so i think you know so many of us were very shy at that age um and um so i think you know listen carefully to what knock is telling you because it's so true you know be curious observe um observe, curious and just and and be aware that you're being shy yeah um 
And once you're aware of it, once you're aware, you can repair. When you're not aware, you live in despair. Which is another profoundity. <laughs> you're at it again. He's at it again. He just, he just comes out with these things. I think, oh, no, well. So, I mean, I've been through. I have been you. Yeah. I, you know, I was a very badly bullied child at school. I went through purgatory at school. And I had to come to terms with loneliness um, and make yeah. friends with it. They were my few friends. Loneliness, um, insecurity, mm-hmm. paranoia. These these became my. I became aware that that's what I was becoming because. Yeah, and I that was without social media. Well, the bullies would destroy my friends. You know what I mean? So they couldn't come anywhere near me. Yeah. They would get bullied as well. Because, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm a gay man, so that's why I was coming out at school, and you. Luckily, you've now got it to watch. You can... I was outed at school at the age of 14. Yeah. So that And that happened because a very famous actor was diagnosed having HIV and he was outed and he was called Rock Hudson. So my name, JJ Hudson, by association, became that person. I became the same as him, gay but with AIDS. So I was ostracized into, as soon as I got on the school bus that day, nobody would sit anywhere near me. So that was like, I was completely and utterly left devoid. I couldn't speak to my parents about it. Nothing could happen, nothing. Not, I couldn't, I just, again, like your loneliness, I was jammed, absolutely jammed with fear. Yeah. You know, oh. I was scared to cough. I couldn't, I was looking for lesions on my skin. So these are hardcore, but I'm trying to say to you, out of all, I got three things, truth, lies, humor, okay? So the truth was, yes, oh my God, you've outed me. So that saves a whole heap of things. So now I'm out. The lies, I didn't have AIDS. I had, you know, I was not dying. And the humor was, if another kid had me called Hudson, I'd have probably joined in because that's what kids do. Okay, dark. Well, yes. Hmm. So even though... You're being bullied and you're in the worst. You're, you're, you've got big ears, like I had big ears, so I was Dumbo, I was Mickey Mouse, I was, you know, um, I was all called all sorts, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it is, it's just sometimes you used to think, okay, they're bullying me, they're causing me pain, but the attention's on you for some reason. They have picked on you for some reason. It's not negative. It can come across as negative, but I guarantee in the future, you will celebrate that attention because it hardened you up. It will definitely harden you up to the knocks and the bumps and the dark grinds that come to you in life. Yeah. I mean, you've just answered another question by PG, who was 14, and he says, is anyone oh. gay like me? Can they share their story? So you, thank you for, for sharing that with the children. That's been really helpful. I mean... To be gay is okay, it's absolutely okay. And it's not special, it's just exactly the same as everybody else. Yeah. You know what I mean? So don't think it's anything more special than being straight, bisexual, you know, transgender. It's just a human thing that happens. Mm-hmm. And it's just normal, okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just a completely normal thing. I'm going to move you along a little bit. I hope you don't mind. But if you could just... Um... So like go to the point of where you you met Lulu Kennedy and Fashion East and what that was. Yes. 
Okay, so Lulu Kennedy from Fashion East, I'd known, and we were known each other before I was Noki, and before she was Lulu Kennedy, that kind of thing. I was just evolving Noki, and it was quite, she knew me as doing my thing. And she'd gone on to do Fashion East and toured it around London. Um, and she wanted to take it back to the to the East where it started off, because she'd grown up in the mash up scenes. I mean, she was there, you know. So she understood where I was coming from. She understood why, why I called my art movement the mashup. Um, and she asked me to do one of my installations for Fashionist. Um, I was very resident. I was like, I'm not a fashion designer. I don't want to be yeah. entering that kind of arena. She went, look, it would be, you, you are Shoreditch. You're, you know, I was known as the king of customization, the prince of Shoreditch, whatever that kind of stuff. <laughs> I was nicknamed all these, you know, it was, like more, more branding what can I say more branding came along you know what I mean it's very weird you know it's kind of like positive bullying it's weird and yeah. um so she wanted that she wanted that essence she wanted to make a big splash back east at the Truman Brewery and she asked me and then I was thinking okay so what what is this thing I'm going to do and I said well I suppose I'm doing a fantasy fashion house you know I'm taking the place you know it's sustainability using sustainable textiles and Noki, so uh, Noki House of Sustainability, so that's where the NHS evolved from. And it was yeah. just basically um, an idea of, of presenting my art apparel in a glamorous kind of context into a super highway Vogue intensity at the time. Can, and it look that up? Can they look up your show? Is it on, you know, is it still on YouTube somewhere and all the rest? Do you... Um, yeah, I could. There's there's a really great one by a great artist called Mark Lebon. Oh yes, and I'll send you the link. Um, yeah. And it's um, it's on a website he's got called Doobie Doo. Right. Um, and I'll send you that. It's it's a big long. Link. My show is in the middle of it because he did a day one of his crazy films where um, he filmed himself during the whole day, and right in the middle of that day, he filmed my show. Great. In Lovely. basketball. So yeah, it's, that is the 2009 show. It's the best one that I can say where you get the idea of couture, street couture, because yes. the parodying of the shapes and forms. When you look at it, the there's no audience. It's just rails of clothing. And the idea was that the rails of clothing were the audience and they were all screaming to be customised. Yeah. So as the models went past, because we all go to fashion shows and we we'll go, oh, I want that, I want this, I want that, I want that. You know, I could look great in that. So I wanted to transfer that energy into the rails. So the rails became the audience. And as I say, I wanted that energy or that visual um, context to be that the clothing were going, oh, I want to be customised. I want to be, I want my nostalgia broken. I yeah. want to be broken. I mean, reinvented. I want to be street couture, you know. So it was the idea of the clothing becoming the energy because they... It's up to you, as 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 our as our new youth movement, because you know to create your own youth movement for twenty twenty, mm -hmm. not wear the nostalgic past. So I know you're going through one right now, which is the nineties rave. Now, that's really strange because that's what I grew up in, you know, and that's the one I'm trying to fight right now. Was my addiction to nineties sportswear. And that's the trend that you're being driven into right now through mm. algorithms is that is I can encourage you to chop up those 
nostalgic garments. Um, I think I think it's a really time, isn't it? It's you know, it's a perfect time. Because the thing is, the my whole thing is like you know, you can do this in your bedroom. It doesn't need to be in yeah. some fancy atelier. You can customize hand sew. And I think people say to me, "But it looks a bit raw." And I think, "Good, yes, it needs absolutely. to." Yeah, it can to be more raw as long as you've chopped up three garments and put them into one. And doesn't matter how you whether you gaffetate them together, whether you hand stitch them together. You know, whether you safety pin them or you staple them, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's the fact you've broken your parents' nostalgia. Mm. You know, your parents, your parents' friends are the designers feeding you this crap. You know what I mean? That's the basic bar, you know, yeah. crutch of all. I that, suppose not all parents have friends who are designers, though. Yes. Looking on a wider scale. I'm, what I'm trying to say is that we are feeding you what you think you want. What I'm trying to say to you is, I know it's not what you want because you want modernity. Mm -hmm. So chop up what you're being given and be you as a fight and a resistance against it. I think it's a really good way. Um, you know, we all find our own identity of things. And if you are in your bedroom, miles away from anything, all the rest, you know, you just got what you have around you and you try and assemble something uh, yes. we're talking we're talking about garments because we're the fashion school but you know to create your own identity through being creative with what you have yes absolutely um and i, and I truly believe to engage with the the algorithm of is is the, the only way that you can start to communicate yeah. with your own friends group why did you do this? Why does that say that? Why are you walking about um, looking like that? Because I want to. Because yeah. I decided to. George, I decided to make this. I'm so sorry. I'm butting in again. I've got a question from Georgia, and she's 11. And I think you can answer this quite well with one of your profundities. Um, and this is, have you yes. made any mistakes? Oh my God! <laughs> there is no. You got to say it quick. There is, I have, I have a saying. So it's there are no mistakes in Noki, only points of reference. So what I mean by that is, right? You take your garment and you cut into it, and you may have cut in too far, or too low, but tough. You cut into it, yeah. so you adapt your movement and you pleat it, or you ruche it, or you adapt the other bit that you've got to cut to fit it so no mistakes in Noki, only points of reference and that is that's is the only way, it's the only way that i could get through the day with my own practice so that i didn't disappoint myself yeah i would find it i wouldn't be because obviously if you get a really great nike tracksuit or adidas tracksuit as soon as you stuck the scissors in, it's gone. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not as it was before. So you've got to go over the flow and you've got to be confident, you know. So I'd only be like, okay, no mistakes, not the only point. The fact I'm doing this is the modernity in my work. And I would just cut into it and then attach it to something else. Um, so, yes, I have positivity behind that negativity, yes. 
no mistakes in Docky, only points of reference. Absolutely. And also, you know, I think it's good for you to analyse. What do you consider a mistake? Why do you think it's a mistake? How can you, you know, go beyond your what you perceive as a mistake and to find out actually it wasn't a mistake, it was just an important part of your journey? So, well, um, that's yeah. as an artist, that's why I say I'm an artist, I, I, because yeah. I want to. I want my mistakes to be my positive way forward, my my own personal critique. I want oh. to I, the idea of the idea of chasing the audience is the problem of the world now. Mm -hmm. Um once you chase chase the audience, um you forget why you're doing it in the first place. Oh. So yeah. yeah, yes, it's lovely to hear an applause or a, to you know hear a, a positive critique but always look for how you can improve you know as much as they're clapping critique yourself yeah, yeah. absolutely and because then because then you go back to your your cutting room or your your studio and you improve on your work and then the applause will get harder and more profound then once you feel like you've come to a conclusion with a certain idea only then maybe absorb that audience participation in your life yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. do not chase it and do not steal other people's ideas that's the worst thing you can do yes yes, <laughs> so, yes yeah I know I know and I think quite often children end up doing that because they're so they think that they have to copy what is there to be accepted which is not the but, case because at all it's quite quite different and nobody is interested in seeing what you've basically copied um yeah. as what and i know you don't i know why you're doing it and it's not because you're lazy and you think oh I just copy it's, it's a lack of confidence but listen you you're going to get nowhere by doing that um i've got another question for you here and it kind of brings about i know we were talking about um Noki's starting up um a um a shop yeah. So uh, the question is, how can I use social media as a platform to show my creativity? Have you got any do's and don'ts? I'm Chloe. I'm 14. Hello, Chloe. I'm I'm a total technophobe. So I'm very like <laughs> much more like uh, probably why I'm quite good at what I do, because it's much more physical and hands on. But I'm working with a web guy and he's basically just slotting in 25 years of physical work into a, a web shop portfolio platform. Um, it's exciting. It's not something I'm that bothered about. Um, I love TV, but for some reason, I'm not that keen on surfing the net. It's not something recently got into more of Instagram stuff. I, I don't know, maybe I'm that person that's staring into the forecourt, you know, like looking, maybe I've like, I've become a bit of a hermit and I'm looking into the horizons for new things. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've had to come back and realise with lockdown, um, if I wanted to carry on with my practice, you know, because the physicality of the shop or the boutique is kind of dying now. So I've got to start getting my work to other places. Um and I have to engage with modernity a lot more than as much as people say my work is very modernist. Mm -hmm. I'm not particularly modernist myself in with lieu to 
technology. Mm-hmm. Um, being a dyslexic, um, I find it quite hard, all the functions and the, the buttons you've got to press and the areas within the screen that you've got to remember, it's find it very frustrating. But um, And being dyslexic is such a common thing within creativity, isn't it? It's huge. It's, it's definitely my power. It's definitely my power. It's not a problem. It's your superpower, isn't it? I always think, you know, you have a different way of looking at things, you know. Um, it's So if you're young and you're dyslexic, don't think, uh-oh, you know, it's a problem. Not necessarily. And certainly not as you move on into life and you know where you are in your own identity. Yeah. Well, they know, they know about it now. You know, they understand that there are people out there that are dyslexic. So, um, and it's just an inability to understand words as with their meanings and how to assimilate them together to create sentences and and understand sort of like I've also quite number dyslexic. I'm dreadful with left and right. I cannot left and right. You know, left, right, left, right. So I dread that that's a real problem. I, I I am saying left when I mean right. And it's and I'm convinced it's right and it's not, it's left and um stuff like that. So yeah, which can be a problem. That's why I don't drive. I don't drive because I'm, dre- you know, I, I, I cycle everywhere. So, yeah. but there's, you know, it's supposed, you know, you can, you, you, you just, you just have to adapt to who you are. But I, coming back to the question of of the website, yes, I've decided to do nokishop.com. Um, and I've just kept it nokishop.com. Um, something simple, and within that platform will be. Um, my portfolio, there will be the art, there will be a shop to buy the art apparel. Um, it'll give you an overall view. I will probably change it every month or two months. I'll put new things up yeah. and it'll have an education section. So this this podcast will probably feature in it as well. So it's just a way of, I suppose it's creating my own Instagram account in, in within the, the realms of a, a www. Yeah. Uh, com. so um, I'm looking forward to it and as I say I've got 25 years of portfolio quite um, inspire I hope if you look at it it's inspiring that you can just take an old t-shirt and get it in the pages of a magazine worn by Giselle you yeah. know can it which can is happen to you yeah I mean you know very much really? part of that 90s ID type sort of setup thing don't um, I don't 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 get me wrong when I talk about that as a celebrity. I meaning the fact that something broken mm-hmm. is worn on the back of the unbroken. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. And that's that's why I'm talking. So it's elevated, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm going back to the conversation about the Dr. Nokia's NHS. I decided now we're going through the pandemic and all the rest of it to evolve that platform idea so it's now going to be called Dr Nocky's Nest and it's going to be so it's now called Dr Nocky's Nest and it's um just with a simple t put at the end so it's n-h-s-t so that I can evolve it and it's also called Dr Nocky's Sustained Textile so I've sort of like moved on from sustainability because that again is becoming a word now highly commercialized Yes, um, and, absolutely, and, and, and used in, incorrectly as well, yeah. And, and Caroline, you're absolutely right, and, it's, and I want to distance myself from incorrect behaviour, because when I started it in 2008, the word sustainability wasn't hardly even used. In fact, it was well, there wasn't even really 
it wasn't even really a movement, you know, so it felt very comfortable and very modern to use the word sustainability then. Yeah. So it's it's become a car advert now. It's become... Yes, you know, yeah. every, it's, it's lost its, it's money, lost its power, yeah. It's losing its power, but it has its, it has its... I think it's gaining a commercial power, but it's losing its kind of underground, or I call it the thunderground power, you know? <laughs> so that's why I've just used... So that's why I've called it, and I've moved on, and that is now going to be sustained textiles. And if you look up the word sustained, um, you know, it's about elevation, yeah. keeping up, yeah. Yeah. up fusion. So that's kind of, that's kind of, rather than abandoning my ideas, I've evolved my ideas. So it's now Dr. Knocky's nest. Of course, and that's, um, you know, that's a natural journey, isn't it? Children, I think it's worth just thinking as well, when you talk about, I'm, are you sustainable? And we think about what, you know, in our purchasing power, our heating and things like that. But actually, what about you? Are you sustainable? Are you working in a, or, or living or learning in a way that you will be able to keep that up as part of your life? Or are you doing something in your life that isn't sustainable to you? Like maybe it's your behavior. So it's not just sustainability is not just about what you buy, how much electricity you use, what you're doing this, doing that. It's also about you and your own behavior. Are you doing sustainable behavior? Are you um, doing something in your life that is making you not sustainable? And as I say, you know, by um, really negative behavior, depressive thinking things like that so um you know sustainability can mean a lot more than you think and you just bring it back to yourself uh Noki has i've just got another amazing mark <laughs> for those of you who well, like, well, what you've just said exactly how i feel about the word sustainability it's like you have to engage with it as a mentality yes yes, so, yes. That's when I would come back to the other question about disliking things, not engaging with behaviour that you don't find good for you. Mm. Just because it's good for other people doesn't mean to say you've got to absorb how they're dealing with their positivity towards something you feel isn't good for you. Yeah. Which leads Be confident. Me, sorry, carry on. Sorry, I butted in. Just, no, no, it's just you, you've got to find your own integrity. And, I, and, you know, I know it's a really boring thing, but there's a thing called a dictionary. Look up words. Yeah? Yeah. Going back to that other, that other girl's question, she feels very lonely and very um, shy. So open up your mind and your imagination by looking in the dictionary. And you'll get some words, and they will give you a landscape that yeah. will be your friend. Absolutely. And they will give you ideas. Will give you ideas and it's... And I, and, I, and I can't believe I'm saying this because my grandmother used to say to me about reading the dictionary, and if you couldn't spell a word, you should never use it. Now, which I, so I was, so she would always go, spell it, spell it, and would degrade me. Because being dyslexic, of course, that just made it worse because I couldn't. So what, what she, but, what, but what she was actually saying was very true was very very true we do need to understand words a lot more absolutely um, their I mean, meaning what they can give issue, they can there, enhance there's an issue isn't there for children because the way that their curriculum goes they follow that basically you're taught to pass an exam now and it's sometimes yes. very hard for you to understand personal research that may not get you anywhere do you know what i mean you may just find you've been researching looking into books and 
you yeah but it, you don't have to have a, a validation at the end of it research the whole point of experimentation and research is exactly that you don't know where it's going to take you you don't know what's going to happen and you're certainly not going to get a mark at the end of it because it's a personal thing for you which is great because it's so freeing i know i read an article on, on the Sunday Times this week, and it was about something I, I feel really strongly that children shouldn't be assessed in their creative studies. And in fact, I have a lot of thoughts about um, assessment anyway. And that's the mother of a daughter who still likes to take exams and she's in her 30s. Um, but, um, and they were saying that rather than, you know, exams and coming out with your GCSEs or whatever, that you create a personal portfolio so mm -hmm. this has been adopted. And it's you know this isn't just some fanciful thought. There are schools from uh, St Thomas's in Battersea, which is a, a, a you know a, an independent school, very famous one. Two, um, some really fantastic, comprehensive. Uh, one was up in uh, the East Midlands somewhere. I forget. But the idea is so that children would would have a a portfolio, not necessarily a visual portfolio, and, and and not like a straightforward CV, but about them, about what they're good at, what they're bad at, about, mm -hmm. you know, not, not even what they're bad at, I would say, just to celebrate, you know, who they are, so that people can, you know, yeah. I, I just think, for me, that seems such a healthier way. I know it's... I definitely agree with you. I think it's something, and, and within that, I'd love to have a section where they picked five words from the dictionary. That excited them and what motivated their minds to think Fantastic. so that you get an idea of the kind of potential is in that child's mind yeah the young person's mind um it's 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 because we live in slogan world you know so because we do live in slogan worlds but these words are printed on a t-shirt and they go straight back to a corporate back pocket and with that comes slave labor and yes. oceans full of plastic and celebrity endorsement and negative, negative and negative and negative. Do you know what I mean? But we are a human race walking about with endorsing and becoming part of a systemic, I love the word systemic, mm -hmm. behavior that um, endorses it 24 seven. Um, so that's something your generation need to realize is that you are being subjected to explosions of words that go no farther than the back pocket of a businessman you're happy with that if you're happy with that that's fine exactly but i know that thousands and thousands of kids that are not happy with that but they don't even know that that's what they're unhappy about mm -hmm. no but i agree i agree they're too busy they're too busy trying to be like their mates and going to JD Sports to buy a pack of t-shirts for a fiver yeah, yeah. and it's a day out shopping with mum and dad yeah. you know it's that kind of problem if you're a true creative be aware so that you don't live in despair you know because if you're not feeling comfortable about it then there's a reason for that you're not comfortable so you need to figure out why you're not comfortable mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's not the same as you know and that, and that includes smashing up your bedroom and you know, that kind of behaviour, you know, attacking your parents, you know what I mean? That's not a way forward. No, you know? not at all, not at all. And yeah, I just think it's a really important point that, you know, that you're, um, you know, about ownership of your own behaviour, ownership mm. of what you wear. It's very... responsibility. 
it, yeah, it's, it's very easy to say how, you know, oh, I support this, I don't like, you know, slave labour. But do look in your own wardrobes and think, mm, what, what am I doing? Am I perpetuating that? Because slave labour wouldn't exist if there wasn't the customer base. So, yes. um, you know, if you can take yourself out of that, I'm not suggesting that you're all wearing things made by, ch you know, child slaves or things like that, but it is something to think about. And um, I just want to tell you all that um, we're really lucky. We had Noki come to tea. We the minute this blooming lockdown's over, we were desperate for him to come back. Uh, Noki does lots of lecturing around the country. So he spends a lot of time with uh, young creatives. And when he came to ours, the most wonderful moment, and there's, you know, you have a, a moment in your life that you know you're always going to remember. And um, you, were in that you were teaching me in Brighton, you were in the downstairs uh, studio. And I came down uh, just to kind of, it was probably about half an hour before the end of uh, your first day workshop. And I just wanted to come down and I heard him reading to the children and they were so engaged and it was so what was needed and so not what people, you know, people join to do a, a workshop, whether they want an artifact at the end, whatever it is, but this was just so rich and just the way they were with you is just fantastic. I've got one last question for you, yeah. um, right? And this is, um, I think it brings us back to quite a lot you've been saying. And it says this. So this is by Sonny, and he's 16. I've been out. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. Uh, I've been out of school since I was 12. Um, I was used by a gang in county lines. Um, and uh, I really want to get into sustainable street fashion selling, classic labels, uh, classic trainers, and starting my own label. How do I start? So this is a lad who has been out of school. Um, yeah. You know, a, a non you can see he has an entrepreneur spirit there. Um, it's, it's also engaged in the the brand as sportswear, but worn like the campaigns try to emulate if you're part of the County Lines crews. Well, yeah. Uh, tough time, yeah. tough, tough environment. But you've been in them, you've understood them. You've been part of them. It's well, not fake for you. Learned about economics, that's for sure. If you're, you know, uh, sent off dealing drugs there and everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you are, um, you understand it more than most art directors would even imagine in, uh, yeah. in, like in Adidas. Um, I would suggest you look into the mashup and the customization and creating your own street apparel because for you to take the mashup, which you have actually lived, like I did, mm -hmm. I think you've lived it maybe even worse than I did, mm -hmm. um, with worse oppression and seeing things you wish you had never seen, but you can't undo and unsee. Um, yeah, cutting up the brand and making new versions of it where you can actually physically smash up Nike, Adidas and Fila and make one tracksuit top. I think you, you've probably got a better perspective as a young kid than I, than I have. Yeah. No, uh, I, think, I think they have a very... Um, and if you convince your, your crew, your gang members, or the people you know run about you to enjoy wearing it, um, you've got a brilliant place to be given a journalist's moment for truth and understanding mm -hmm. about why you're 
where you want to, you know, readdress the kind of negative environment that you were once in. Yeah, absolutely. I know that there's quite a lot of um, others, like, for example, there's a brand called Keiko. That's K-K-E-I-K-O. It means blessings. And uh -huh. Lad, uh, I don't know how old he is, but he had a very similar story to Sonny. And, um, and he started up his own label doing his own streetwear. And because he's hit that point so astutely, um, he is mm -hmm. now um, a really coveted brand by young lads who are in his position. So, um, yeah, yeah. you know, because, because it's, well, it's that way. The time, yeah, the time is now. I mean, they've got to remember the brand did not invent rave and street. The human being, the youth of the early rave, or you know, creatives, put the brand in the rave. They didn't create the rave; we put it in the rave. Okay, so we own ourselves. You know, we own, and I think it's the time is now. Definitely, the time is now to become the new Nike, the new Adidas, the new Fila, um, because sportswear has become part of fashion apparel. Mm -hmm. Um, the zip is the new button, <laughs> you know, the draped shoulder in the track, the new epaulette, you know, it's, uh, you know, the trainer is the new shoe. Sorry, and this this lad um, who has done Keiko, I think his name's Donnie, yes. um, and he does mentoring as well, so I think that's what's so great, you know, it's, yeah. they're actually giving but they understand where they came from they they understand better than any psychologist or whatever um exactly what how vulnerable well, I'm really, children are i'm really excited Caroline, to know that he's going to obviously be printing keiko on t-shirts and bits and his crew will be wearing his brand it's much more uh, healthy that's much more healthy use of body billboard and i call and i call it the bb the body billboard so it's kind of like we what we are a billboard but when we put a brand on it, we become their walking billboard. You know what I mean? Exactly the same as when you open a magazine, exactly the same as when you see it fly past in a bus. These are all billboards. So we are the walking billboard. We're the human billboard, So, um, which I call the body billboard. Um, so it's lovely to hear that a new brand is evolving, which is about a young person's endeavour, not a businessman's endeavour. Yeah, no, I think you know, it's, it's just refreshing. It's just very refreshing. Oh, well, that's kind of it. Thank you so much. We've taken up so much of your time. And uh, oh. just to say, check out Noki, check out all the things that he's been talking about, um, you know, understand, you know, the rave scene, what's the modern comparison, if there is one. Think about, you know, growing, um, being in Shoreditch in those early years, looking at what fashion East does for, for fashion, because a lot of you probably haven't heard of it. Um, and uh, and also, um, you you know, there's been quite a few things. Oh, and also, just listen to what he's what uh, what you've told them about their you know sort of like taking uh, responsibility for their own behaviour. I think, yeah. Yeah, I think I think I think I took responsibility for my anger and I took it out on the brand. Yeah. So. And, and, that's, and that's created a 25-year endeavour that has been copied by high fashion brands mm -hmm. and artists. So, and I'm still struggling, but at the same time, I know that my tantrum, my bad behaviour was diverted 
into a creative endeavor yeah, that, yeah. Has spawned, that has spawned other creatives uh, to be inspired by my tantrum, not embarrassed by my tantrum. <laughs> because ultimately, you know, when you smash up your bedroom, you've got to tidy it up, you know, and you've got to be like, oh, why did I do that? Oh, no, I've just broken this. I've just broken that. Oh, my God. I've got to go and apologize to mum and dad when I really don't want to do that. Do you know what I mean? And all this stuff. So it's it's like, you know, you've got to like rewind. Um, nothing worse than having to rewind and enforce yourself to be humble, you know. It's much better to be humble before the tantrum and do it in advance of the tantrum. Absolutely. Wise words as ever. Well, thank you so much. Um, and... Uh, if you want to find out more about Noki, you know he's on Instagram, Dr. Noki, look him up on the um, internet, you'll find lots of information about him, he's really interesting history. We could only squeeze in a tiny bit, but um, thank you everybody for listening and thank you uh, to you as well, Dr. Noki. Oh.